Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am your host, Brian, from BannersOnTheParkway.com, and I am joined in our post-Christmas episode by a man who had the hap-hap-happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap-danced with Danny Kay. It's Brad. Brad, how you doing? Um, I'm doing pretty well. Up until recently, I did not get that reference because I had never seen White Christmas. And then I was watching it one time and I'm like, oh, OK, now I get it. So we were watching that again last night and they were both still tap dancing uh, pretty happily, it looked like. And I did have a good Christmas. I, I mean, I've not seen White Christmas uh, all the way through, but I am familiar with Bing Crosby is. So I don't know. Um, and then uh, we're also joined by uh, the man who has once again made us a bit late. This time it's because he insisted on eating at a Ponderosa Steakhouse and uh, only 35 of those still is, exist in America. It's Braden. Uh, Braden, was it worth it? No, and it never was, even when those things were opened around us. So I don't know why buffet steak uh, ever appealed to me, but it's something that I've gotten over as I've grown more mature. Okay, <laughs> well, uh, there you go. Uh, so in Xavier news, um, Xavier is uh, 23rd in the AP poll this week. Um, and I have a sneaking suspicion they'll be holding at 23rd uh, because uh, just before we started recording, um, the game uh, against uh, UConn on the December the 28th was canceled. Um, this came on the heels of Xavier's game at Georgetown um, on January the 4th, also being canceled. So in theory, those will be rescheduled. Uh, but in practice, we will see because uh, obviously now uh, cancellations are beginning to pile up for a lot of programs, uh, much like they did last year. And so as things are canceled, it may not be the case that they get rescheduled. Um, but this kind of brings us back to a poll we ran just 11 days ago, um, which was uh, over under at 2.5 on how many games Xavier would lose to COVID this year. Not loses in forfeit, but loses and not be able to contest. Um, and under got 52% of the vote. For, so for that to be true, Xavier would have to either make up one of these games that just got canceled or not miss another game the rest of the season. I don't think either of those is very likely, although I must say that when I put this poll out, I messaged the group and said I'm taking the over. So um, not that I want COVID to continue to rage, but uh, this is something that that I thought would be an issue uh, for Xavier's season and for a lot of the seasons around college basketball. Uh, so, Brad, can you walk us through exactly what Xavier has? Um, I guess what are their what is their recourse? Uh, because right now they played the 21st and they're not scheduled to actually play again until January the 7th. So, uh, does Xavier have recourse? What is the the situation here? Or are they facing another of those long layoffs like they did last season? 
Well, you mentioned those long layoffs like last season. Last season's longest layoff was 20 days. Uh, this one would be 17 days. After that 20-day layoff, Xavier came back and promptly lost five out of seven to Torpedo their season. Um, that had started out so well, so hopefully that won't happen again. Xavier has a couple reasons for a little bit of hope. Um, one of them is the new CDC guidelines that just came out today saying that COVID um, isolated people only have to isolate for 10 days now as opposed to, I'm sorry, only have to isolate for five days as opposed to the 10 that it had been. Um, even while you were talking right there, the ACC just came out and said that they would be doing their utmost to keep isolations to five days um, and letting individuals make the decision as to whether they only wanted to isolate for five days. Um, I don't think I need to tell you what a uh, that's going to be for vaccinated players. I don't need to tell you what most college kids are going to pick. Um, they're going to be back out playing as quickly as they can. So that gives Xavier a little bit of hope because the Georgetown game um, could fall in that eight uh, right around an eight day range. Um, so if Georgetown has enough vaccinated players in the Big East goes the same way, we could see that game landing back on the slate. Um, the other thing is that Coach Steele said he has already reached out to the conference about adding non-conference games, um, specifically to avoid that long layoff where they don't get to play. The problem is that technically all 20 of these games are still scheduled and Xavier has already played 11 non-conference games. Um, that puts them up against their max game cap limit. So essentially, they would have to say, we are certain we're not going to get one of these conference games back in so they could play a non-conference game, and they would also have to get the conference's approval on that. Um, I think another thing that could happen is find other teams that aren't going to be able to play, like maybe Marquette in this stretch, and move the games around. Um, I think that's a bit of a pipe dream. Xavier wanted to try doing that last year, as did other teams, and it just never did work out. Um with the Big East to get things rescheduled that way. So I think the new CDC guidelines are adding a non-conference game are probably the best thing uh, to hope for. Uh, UConn is missing, well, they haven't really confirmed exactly who is out uh, player-wise with COVID. There's been rumors it's been RJ Cole, um, who frankly I didn't want to see again after his game last year, but they did confirm that head coach Dan Hurley was going to be out for the Xavier game and for both of these games that UConn has had to cancel now. Gotcha. Okay, so, um, yeah, obviously uh, it, it's going to kind of come down to what the Big East decides. Um, I think realistically they are dreaming if they think that these games are going to get rescheduled because already it would be tough to fit them back in the schedule. And um, I think that it is very optimistic, bordering on naive to think that no more games are going to be added to that cancellation pile. Um, but we will wait and see. And um, unfortunately, we may wait 17 days and see uh, what Xavier looks like after that uh, layoff. Um, so in some general news, um, Baylor uh, is still good at basketball um they won the national title last year uh they're undefeated this year uh they're still number one in the country uh they they they've made it two weeks as uh as the number one team in the country um duke and st john's both canceled a week's worth of games due to covid um and per jeff goodman um 58% of D1 programs tested the whole team after they came back from Christmas. That seems really low to me. 
uh, to be honest. But um, that's I don't know if that was an official poll or like Jeff Goodman straw poll. Um, but the number is 58 percent of, of teams testing all their players after they returned from Christmas. Um, Brad, what what is uh, what do you have to add to that? Uh, just to clear up his uh, methodology a little bit, he called over, he said over 125 ADs. I'm, I'm guessing that means 126 because over 125 is kind of weird phrasing. Um, and just flat out asked him, the, they all were willing to talk to him and answer. So I guess that's a Goodman straw poll, but his, that was his methodology is he called programs individually, talked to people who were in positions of authority and got an actual answer out of them. So you have 58%. Uh, just tested the whole team, not just symptomatic guys. Uh, some teams did test if anybody was symptomatic, but 58% tested everybody who was coming back after Christmas. Um, interestingly, for Xavier, back after Christmas means that they were back for the uh, late practice on Christmas. So uh, that's kind of a rough one. I can tell you that at like 6 o'clock in the evening on Christmas, I was in no condition to have attempted to play basketball. Um tucked pretty heavily into the Christmas enchiladas would have been an ugly scene. I'd like to tell you that I've quit eating way too much food, but I still am not sure I would be ready for a basketball practice at this point. Well, I ate a lot of sausage rolls yesterday. Not going to lie. Yeah. I don't know that my diet over the holidays is, is the reason that I can point to as uh, why I would not do well in a D one basketball practice, but <laughs> is one of the reasons uh, I'm just not going to sit here and be like, that's the only thing. Because uh, there's also the fact that I'm like 5'10 and can't really jump or shoot a basketball. So <clears throat> that's also not great. Um, Braden, I mean, you would probably dominate, to be honest. Being 5'10 and not able to shoot didn't stop Saul Smith. Yeah, I don't have the same last name as as anyone in Xavier's program. Although one person did say that we have curried a lot of favor with Coach Steele, so maybe I could cash all that in, and he would be like, no, 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 guys. Um, <laughs> feed the chubby guy. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but anyway, um, in, in less hypothetical, more games that actually happened, despite the fact that Kind of wish they hadn't now. Uh, Xavier uh, played at Villanova on um, Tuesday night and came away with a loss, their second of the season, Xavier 58, Villanova 71. So, Braden, uh, what specifically went wrong for Xavier in this game? Uh, the second half is what went wrong in this game. Uh, obviously, X got out to that hot start shooting. Uh, they hit their first uh, six threes, I believe it was. That opened up the paint for DeWan Odom to get into. Uh, Zach Fremantle, you know, had a few solid post-ups in the first half. Uh, but then the wheels really came off the second half. The three stopped falling. Uh, Nova was much more aggressive with how they fronted the post and then had that backside guy come help out. And that took that away, as, the, as we saw with all those high lobs uh, inside that went nowhere near their targets. Uh, but that's really what did it. Nova made those uh, those adjustments. And then, you know, if the three had kept falling, you know, that is a hypothetical. So sorry for going off book with that. If the three had kept falling, I mean, you could 
see maybe Nova having to get out a little more on that and then uh, the paint opening up a little more. But that's really what did it. The jumper was not going. And then once that stopped, uh, just nobody could really get anything going offensively. Yeah, I mean, looking into the numbers a little bit here, Xavier um, had done really well with moving the ball this season. In this game, they only assisted eight of their 21 made baskets. Um, obviously, when your team misses its last 17 three-pointers, um, the ability to uh, set one another up takes a bit of a hit because uh, you can set someone up as well as you want, but if they miss the shot, you still don't get an assist. Um, but only assisting eight of 21 made baskets, that's 38%. That's well below Xavier's season average. Um I think the other thing that really hamstrung Xavier was their inability to get second chances. They only got five offensive rebounds. Um, they rebounded 15% of their misses. Uh, Xavier is a much bigger team than Villanova. They're much deeper. Villanova has not been exceptional at defensive rebounding this season. They're 121st in the nation, and yet Xavier was not able to take advantage of that at all, and that's something that had been a strength of Xavier's coming into the game, and it pretty much disappeared uh, in this game. Um, so, Brad, I mean, obviously, Xavier is now 11-2. and two. Uh, They've gone to one of the toughest places in the nation to play, um, Played really well for a half, played poorly for a half, and lost the game. So are we back to fire the coach and bench all the players? Um, or is that maybe not a big enough reaction to Xavier losing by 13 at Villanova? Um, well, the only thing that changed between this game and the usual outcry at the start of the year, I guess, is no one is yelling for Kiki Tandy right now because, unfortunately, the poor kid is hurt again. Um, there's There was a lot of overreaction after this game, frankly. Uh, teams in the Big East, since the Big East changed, have won one road game at the Pavilion, and Xavier didn't win what would have been number two. Uh, it is not a place where teams go and win real often. Villanova is very good. Um, regardless of the fact that they have lost a, a few more games than you'd expect them to. They're still 12th in the Ken Palm. They still have a very efficient offense. They still don't turn the ball over, and they still play really good defense. This isn't like a team that you put away because you lead them at the half. Um, Xavier did do some bad stuff coming out of the second half. In their first six possessions, they missed three shots and turned the ball over four times. Um, that's not ideal when you're trying to hold a lead. but. That's also not on the coach. Um, a lot of people have mentioned that over the top pass, like you were talking, like uh, I think Braden mentioned. Um, why did they keep throwing that? Uh, the reason is that the three-pointers weren't dropping. Um, and yeah, you could bench all of the players, but Coach Steele ran through his rotation and didn't find anybody who could make a shot. When the shots stop falling, they don't have to respect rotation of the ball, which means they can throw that backside help in like Braden talked about, which means you can't throw that over the top pass as effectively anymore, which means that they sag the defense down a little bit more, which means that you keep shooting three pointers, which means that if they aren't going, it turns into a really, really ugly 
second half of basketball. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so far as what coaching adjustments, I think coach Steele could have made. There weren't really a lot that were painfully evident to me in that game. Ultimately you need three pointers to start going in to loosen the paint back up. Villanova gambled that Xavier was not going to shoot 100% from behind the arc the whole game. Um, after Dwan Odom's chest pass three-pointer went in, X was looking really good, and then they missed 17 straight. Um, you know, Villanova didn't think that Xavier could shoot him out of their defense. Xavier tried to shoot him out of their defense. The end of the story is that Xavier couldn't. Villanova was right. Jay Wright was right. I'm not sure what you do um, from a coaching standpoint to change that. Um, I did see another highlight this week, and I don't know if you guys were aware of this. A three-pointer only counts as a three-pointer if it's a legitimate attempt to make a basket. Uh, there is a rule that states that another team, I forget where it was, but it was in a, a low major or a mid-major game, lost a three-point attempt because it was an, a lob from midcourt that didn't connect and instead went into the hoop. They initially rolled it a two, then went back and gave the guy three, but they could conceivably only award two points for that. Um, Dwan Odom's, well, I don't know. With Dwan Odom's shooting form, it's sort of hard to tell. I think he was attempting a chest pass, but that could just be what he looks like when he shoots from more than 22 feet. Um, so that could have only been a two. But to get back to uh, Coach Steele, I guess he could have told him to make it so their passes started going in the basket since their shots weren't. But I don't think there was a lot here. Um, I know that sounds a lot steel apologist, but if, you know, if this isn't Villanova, if they come out and lay an egg like that against Moorhead state in the second half, then yeah, I think you can really pick apart the coaching and find something that went wrong, but it's Nova. Sometimes against Nova, bad things happen. They happen to Xavier. Weirdly, only one three pointer went in at that end of the court. I don't know if Villanova, you know, used the home field advantage and knew there was a, a big breeze on the East basket that game or what, but uh, X just could not make the shots. And when they don't make shots, they are going to get into a lot of trouble. We said on here repeatedly, I think they need to make a third of their three pointers to really be competitive. And they didn't, they made 26% and they lost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, you would think that the coach would tell the players to start making shots again seems like a strategy tweak that he'd have thought of um but he didn't um i don't uh, maybe he doesn't know how good it is to make shots um but yeah i, I mean when you're shooting when you shoot all of 17 from three uh not in the second half not all in the second half but you know when you miss 17 straight threes it's hard to coach good offense when the other team knows you just can't buy a three-pointer um so and i mean we've seen that for, for from Xavier in the last couple seasons. Um, Xavier Player of the Week has been canceled this week due to lack of hustle. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, it's from heavyweights, folks. Don't be like, who doesn't think these guys hustle? I do. Um, I just like Ben Stiller movies. Sue me. Anyway, Braden, who do you have for Xavier Player of the Week? I'm betting we all have the same guy. Well, I've gone with Jerome Hutt. No, I'm kidding. That was no. Uh, Dewan Odom, obviously, uh, followed up that great performance he had against Marquette with another solid one against Nova. Um, when the shots stopped falling in the second half, that didn't deter 
him because unless it's a chest pass, he doesn't attempt a lot of threes. Um, you know, he still got into the paint relatively well, had a couple turnovers uh, when things really started to go south in the second half. Uh, but he was still really aggressive towards the end of the game. He made uh, made a little floater in the mid-range uh, towards the later part of the second half that looked like it could be a lifeline, uh, and it just turned out to not be that at all. Um, but, yeah, he still, he still had a solid night, had 13 points. He was 5 of 7 on shots that he uh, was actually trying to shoot. Um, throw in that three pointer just for good measure. Uh, but he's still, he's still developing really well. I think, uh, you know, hopefully we don't have a huge COVID layoff because he seems like he's really rounding into a good run of form here. Uh, so I think he could be really scary, uh, coming into the bulk of conference play if we get it. All right. Uh, Brad. Uh, yeah, Dwan Odom as well for me. For all the reasons that Braden mentioned, and I won't go into all those, I did think one thing that's really interesting um, that we've started to see here recently is Dwan Odom almost split minutes with Paul Scruggs against Villanova. Scruggs only played four more minutes than Odom did. Um, he was not nearly as effective. He's in a horrible shooting slump and is also turning the ball over way too much. Um, and Coach Steele has clearly seen that and started to react to it. Uh, so Odom is playing nearly as much as Scruggs is now. And I think based on the way that he played against Villanova, the way he was in attack mode in that second half, uh, even when things were derailing, uh, that's a lot of the reason why he's my Xavier player of the week as well. All right. Um, and, and I skipped the the soundtrack for Xavier player of the week on purpose. It was Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. And that's because I have never stopped believing in Dwan Odom and his silky smooth jumper. Uh, he's up to 33% from three. Uh, so, I mean, he's shooting the three significantly better than Zach Fremantle is this year. Something to look out for. Uh, Dwan Odom, sniper. Anyway, uh, I was really impressed with him. Um, he, yeah, like you said, he is always willing to take someone on. Um, I thought his last little floater that just rimmed out. I, I I think that was when everybody realized Xavier was not coming back in this game. Um because he had been doing so well getting downhill and that one uh the iron was just unkind on that one. But uh yeah I thought he was once again Xavier's best player this week. Um the way he attacks the opposing point guard on defense I think it's really oppressive. He, um, when he was on Colin Gillespie, Colin Gillespie didn't really do much when other people were on Colin Gillespie. Colin Gillespie went for 15 points and four assists. So um, the way he can take an opponent's point guard and not take them out of the game, but at least take them out of what they want to do comfortably, I think is a huge asset for Xavier. But um, yeah, I I've gone with Dwan Odom as well. So clean sweep. Clean sweep, second time in Xavier Player of the Week history, um, which goes back uh, like six whole weeks. So that is incredible, folks. Anyway, um, Brad, what would you like to add? I just wanted to circle back to say that Dwan Oldham is up to 56th in the nation in field goal percentage inside the arc. He's shooting 68.5% inside the arc. He's also shooting 81% from the line, which is second on the team. 
for a guy that cannot shoot a three-pointer, uh, that's just incredible. That that goes to show how much range he has in terms of moves uh, to get himself open for 15-footers and for shots at the rim. I mean, he's just excellent getting those little teardrops. Like, like you said, that floater that he had that almost went, felt like it could have maybe turned the tide. But it, it's incredible that he shoots that well inside the arc when teams know he's not going to shoot uh, from deep. I mean, other than obviously that 23 footer he banged in against Nova, maybe that's why he had a little more success against them is because they had to respect that. All right. Quick look out of players who are shooting better than Dwan Odom from inside the arc this season. How many do you think out of the 54 play, 55 players shooting better than Dwan Odom inside the arc this season? How many do you think are shorter than six foot four? Brayden, your guests now. Ugh. Three. Brad. Ten? Brayden actually got it spot on. I, he Googled it. <laughs> the man goggled it. <laughs> he, he got on jujul.com and he looked up the answer so he could sound smart. It's three. Um, and out of those three, uh, one of them plays sparse minutes for Gonzaga. Nolan Hickman, he's only attempted 29 shots from inside the arc this year. Um, and then there's a dude from Southern Illinois. And one other person who I can't find anymore. Oh, Demarius Jacobs from Ball State, who uh, against against Xavier and Dwan Odom um, scored two points. <laughs> So I don't know when they went head to head. I think Dewan won. Anyway, uh, what he's doing inside the arc, all that to say, what he's doing inside the arc is exceptional um, for a player in a high major conference who who uses the ball as much as Dewan does. So good job, Dewan, and uh, everybody else. You know, play better, and uh, we will talk about you in Xavier Player of the Week uh, next week. Except we won't because. <laughs> You won't have played a game. Um, and I've been uninvited from practices. Uh, all that favor I curried with Coach Steele. You know, they still don't let you eat nachos during practice. Who knew? Um, so looking ahead, uh, speaking of looking ahead, Xavier is not going to play next week unless the uh, CDC ruling that just came down, came down puts that Georgetown game back in play. But um, that does not seem likely. Uh, so we may be looking at a 17-day layoff um, with Xavier back in action at Butler, um, which I don't love that because Butler's horrendous, and I don't want to come back from a long COVID layoff with a game against a real crappy team. Uh, because if you lose, that kind of sinks your resume a little bit. Anyway, um, hopefully Xavier doesn't lose. Uh, we have some questions here. First one is from Weeze, um, who I believe is Brad's son, um, although it could be another person who refers to himself as Weeze. Um, I don't know that many, though. Uh, so have the COVID forfeits and unforfeits? Yeah, it's definitely Brad's son. Unforfeits is not a word, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> 
<laughs> this is the English language, not Subway. You can't just throw things together and be like, I like that. Anyway, have the COVID forfeits and unforfeits impacted the standings? And how will conferences determine things at the end of the year? So this is actually a good question because we could get to the end of the Big East Conference and teams not have played this. It seems likely that teams will not have played the same number of games. So, Brad, um, how will this de- affect seeding in the Big East tournament and how the, the Big East champion is is crowned? Uh, that is actually a good question. And apparently it would be a good question to put to the Big East Conference because uh, they have not said. Uh, right now, they are listing the teams that have not played. That includes DePaul, Seton Hall, St. John's, Butler, and Georgetown. They all have currently listed at 0-0 zero and zero in the conference, ahead of Marquette, who's 0-2, but behind uh, Xavier, UConn, and Villanova, who are at 1-1. One and one. So they're looking at 0, I guess, as a... I'm not sure. It's a placeholder at this point in time. I'm guessing that they are going to go by win percentage in the conference, and that's how they're going to determine, um, regardless of how many games are played. Obviously, that gets to be a problem if some team only plays 10 games and wins nine of them. I'd say a team that plays 20 and wins 17 could feel rightly aggrieved um, if they don't win the conference. But I guess the Big East's plan is that they're going to cross that bridge when they come to it. And so far as how the forfeits and I I don't know how you would describe, how would you use that word for a game that was forfeited and then was not forfeited, but hasn't been played again? Uh, We'll go with a forfeit. A what? A rescinded forfeit. The rescinded forfeits right now are not on the, on the standings. So there's a lot of teams that just don't appear to have played yet. Um, This is going to be, a mess. It would be nice if they would come out and say something before the end of the year. But of course, uh, we saw last year that by doing that, some conferences kind of backed themselves into a corner a little bit because you just don't know how this is going to turn out. All that to say, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, much like Cousin Eddie, whose kid got kicked by a mule and his eyes went back uncrossed. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Man, I'll tell you what I hope happens. Uh, and dream with me for a second, DePaul and Butler go on COVID pause because they both suck and they know it. They come out of COVID pause on Tuesday, December, February 15th, Butler visiting DePaul for all the cookies. One game, <laughs> take all, going back on COVID pause afterwards. Whoever wins has an 100 win percentage in the Big East and is crowned Big East champion. I would love it. would absolutely love that. Um, it would be the worst game of basketball ever played and have incredibly high stakes. Um, I need it. Get it done to Paul and Butler, because what the heck else are you going to do the rest of the season? Just suck and be. I fun. think an undefeated, an undefeated Big East champion. I mean, that's not a bubble team. That's a lock, right? I mean, when has a team ever swept Big East play? and not gotten into the tournament. I mean, whoever wins that game is a shoe-in. And you've got to be looking at like a three or four seed, right? Yeah, uh, it's a protected seed for sure. For sure. I'd be, I mean, it would be a huge snub if if they ended up beneath the four line. Huge snub. If they're wearing away uniforms in the second round, something's gone disastrously wrong. Um, 
So anyway, um, yeah, that would be about the only interesting thing about Learn DePaul could do. <laughs> so we do have a, a real question. Uh, that was a real question, I guess. Um, it just had a fake word in it. Um, we have a real question from Milk Stevens. Uh, type game, Final War. Let's have our best and smartest players on the court. Who is that five? Uh, he's thrown out Odom, one of Scruggs and Kunkel, Johnson, Colby, and Nunji, um, which um, is six names, but he did put a slash between Scruggs and Kunkel. So he's saying that it's between those two guys for him. He's got four firm ones and then. Uh, that's a, a coin flip based on how those two guys are playing for Milk Stevens. Braden, uh, who are your five? For me, it's depending entirely on situation. I know that's the boring answer, but I also like a lot of his picks here because Odom, uh, he gives you a solid hand at the point, very good getting to the paint, and he's good, very good on defense. Um, Scruggs out there, I mean, feel like you have to consider at this point the shooting slump that he's in. Uh, you know, obviously Kunkel's shooting numbers are better right now, uh, but I feel like Scruggs is better defensively, so it depends on how you want to play that. Uh, I like having Nate Johnson out there. I feel like you need to have him in the game in crunch time because he spaces the floor for you. He is a solid defender. Uh, Colby Jones, same deal, good defender, and he could do a little bit of everything offensively. The big guy, uh, for me, I feel like if you're in that tight situation, need a stop, uh, you know, Deontay Miles doesn't get a lot of run, but having his length and ability to switch on to just about anybody, I feel like is a good asset to have. I think Nunji's a solid post defender, obviously better offensively, but, you know, I'd, I'd personally take Nunji because offense is how you win games, kids, but. I think the five that he, well, the six he's thrown out here, they're all viable options. I, I think my my five that I'm picking within the rules here, I'd have Odom, Scruggs, Johnson, Jones, and Nunji. I think that'd be my my crunch time game winning five. Okay, Brad, you nodded vigorously. Are you going with that five? Yeah, I am. I do think that Scruggs, Scruggs and Kunkel are really close defensively, but at the end of the game, I don't think you take Paul Scruggs out. Uh, Coach Steele is not going to take Paul Scruggs out. It's just not going to happen. He's got to play. He's going to be out there. He's the heart and soul of the team. So I think that's actually a, there is no debate at that position. It, Paul Scruggs will be out there uh, regardless of the situation. So yeah, I think Braden and uh, Milk Stevens sort of have hit on the five that are going to play. Okay. I think mine would be a little more dependent on matchups. Um, obviously <laughs> the elephant in the room, the, the name that's not really been thrown out there is Zach Fremantle. Who's um, I mean, he's been a little up and down since he's come back. He does have a, a 110 O rating. Um, but some of these teams, in the big East, specifically Connecticut, they have a lot of size across their front line. I don't know if I would trust Colby Jones and Jack Nunji if I'm trying to get stops against, you know, Isaiah Whaley and Adama Sanogo. Uh, I just don't know that Colby Jones is who I want to throw on either of those guys. He did a great job on EJ Liddell, but EJ Liddell is butter soft and Isaiah Whaley and Adama Sanogo are not. 
So that uh, maybe uh, it may may call for more size. Um, I think that the five that he put out there and you guys have mentioned is good. But again, um, if Adam Kunkel is red hot and feeling it, I'm not going to put him on the bench when it's crunch time, you know, um, because he will shoot from anywhere. And if he's hot, he'll probably make it. Uh, so again, Zach Fremantle, first team, all big East preseason. Um, he's not back to hundred percent yet, but I'm not going to rule him out of my rotation at the end of games. Um, so Xavier has a lot of good options is my point. And I think, uh, I would play the matchups more than I would take five guys and say, these are my five for crunch time. Um, but the five that he's put out there, I think, based on what Xavier's done so far, just against a generic opponent, would be my five. Um, and then the final question is from uh, Patrick uh, Papa Roach. Uh, I don't know if that's actually his nickname, but uh, I'm going to roll with it. Um, he said the Villanova game raised a question he's long had. It, can Travis Steele outcoach his counterpart during crunch time? Thus far, his conclusion is not favorable for Steele to win a big game. It basically needs to be a blowout. Practice outthinking his opponent by playing poker. Um, so, I guess what it comes back to is, was Xavier losing at Villanova a failure of coaching? And... Um, also, was Xavier's eight-point win against Creighton last year a blowout? Brad, uh, what do you think? Well, to address the blowout thing, I mean, you just have to go back to this year and look at Oklahoma State, Virginia Tech, and Ohio State are three really good wins that weren't blowouts. Um, that's without digging back farther to see, like, Coach Steele has – in his first year, picked up a huge win against Creighton in the Big East tournament and also beat Villanova away um, in games that were not blowouts. So I don't I don't think that holds water. Also, I have both coached college basketball and played poker. And uh, I can assure you that the two have nothing to do with each other. Um, I've known some college basketball coaches that play poker and I've known some that don't. I don't think there's a real, uh, real high correlation there. I also knew a college basketball coach who gambled just incessantly but that is a different story for a different time um i think though that this is a legitimate question um travis Steele is getting better this year i don't think that the villanova game was a failure of coaching but i do think that there were some things at the start of the year that were concerning um the niagara game obviously leaps off the page as one of those and also kent state where the team just looked disjointed um and a lot of times when a team looks like it doesn't have a plan, that is a failure of coaching. I do think recently Xavier has looked like they have a plan. They look like they're executing their plan. They looked like they had a plan against Villanova. It just revolved around shots going in and the shots did not go in. And when that happens, any coach is going to look bad. And when shots go in, most coaches are going to look good. Um, people are way too quick to react. I do think this is a make or break season for Steele. And so far, it's been make. Uh, those wins against Ohio State, that huge win against Virginia Tech in the game where Nate Johnson carried the team, um, and then another win against Oklahoma State are great wins um, that you don't get with a bad coach. Now, you say when the shots are going in, coaches look good. 
And I'm going to push back on that because uh, Memphis got a big win against Alabama. And yet, <laughs> I still don't think Penny Hardaway is a good coach. That's why I said most of the time coaches look good. I was going to say, because it looked like he was like, it, it was almost accidental that they won that game anyway. Um, actually, what won them that game was him benching uh, his shiny recruit, which is kind of interesting um, because that was kind of his whole deal coming in is that he can get these great one and done recruits. And then he's like, eh, you can sit on the bench. Um, so this is our last podcast of 2021 um, and, and maybe ever if Xavier does not start playing basketball games again. Uh, I don't know. There's not a lot else for us to talk about that people would tune into. Um, a lot of people don't tune into this. So anyway, <laughs> before we get too into the weeds, um, favorite sporting moment of 2021. Um, Braden, go. For me, it was the entirety of March Madness that we got this year, especially after missing the year. Uh, I needed it back in my life, and it brought me nothing but joy. But the thing that brought me the most joy specifically was watching Oral Roberts beat Ohio State in the first round uh, to start that run to the Sweet 16. Uh, I know we've discussed on this podcast at some length uh, our dislike for Ohio State. That was no different uh, this March. And obviously, I didn't pick this one because I didn't have it in me. But uh, it was great, great, great fun to watch. Uh, I was at work when this game started, and then I was on the way, my way to Brian's house uh, to watch the rest of the afternoon's games and got to listen to it on the radio. And it was, it was spectacular. There was at one point I was like, dang, Ohio State's going to pull this off. And then they didn't, and it was awesome. So uh, that was my, was my favorite sporting moment from the year. Okay. Brad, why was yours England almost winning something again? <laughs> um, oh, you thought I was going to pick Luke Shaw in the second minute against Italy. And you weren't far off. Um, I'm actually going to go with Harry Kane in the 86th minute against Germany. Um, that was my favorite moment of the year because I'm a huge, huge, huge England supporter. Um, it was a massive tournament. Uh, the Euros and getting to see England looking like they were going to win and actually beating Germany and something was fun. Uh, but a lot of what made that fun for me is that uh, I was watching on my phone up on uh, the island where we all go to for vacations and all three of my kids were huddled around so we could all see. So that was a great family moment and a great sporting moment. Um, and when that went in, there was a lot of celebration. Uh, some other lady who was out there suntanning gave us a really, really weird look. And I didn't bother explaining why we were jumping up and down and jumping into the water and stuff like that, because it was exciting. It was my favorite moment of 2021. And yeah, uh, Luke Shaw scoring in the second minute was right up there. But all that caused in me was just a greater sense of foreboding, um, because that's the way things are. Mm, yeah, my favorite sporting moment was England not winning. <laughs> kidding. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I did enjoy that. but. Um, I'm not going to dedicate my favorite sporting moment to, to schadenfreude. I'm going to pick something better. Um, actually, I'm just going to pick a different form of it. And it was when Jorge Soler uh, hit a ball off the frickin' moon um, 
in Game 7 of the World Series uh, to begin a route that would eliminate the Houston Astros. I am not an Atlanta Braves fan. I don't particularly like the Atlanta Braves. I think the tomahawk chop is stupid and something that should not be done. But uh, I hate the Houston Astros the most of any professional sports franchise. And seeing them lose um, is always going to make me happy. Um, And so when, when Jorge Soler hit that and then people who weren't even watching that game were like, oh, that's gone. <laughs> uh, because <laughs> so obviously um, an absolute tater. Um, I was thrilled. I was absolutely thrilled. So the, the other thing is like, like the Scruggs dunk was great. Uh, other than that, the teams I cheer for did not do um, a lot of like, Argentina won the Copa America, but I didn't actually get to watch the final. So that was, you know, that that, that that tempered that a little bit for me. But like the Indians in their final season under that name did nothing that I'm going, I can even remember now, much less that I'm going to remember in the future. Um, I think the Brown season has been memorable for lots of bad reasons. Um, and so watching the Astros lose is all I've got. And so no one take that away from me um, because <laughs> it's what I can hold on to as we head forward into 2022, where hopefully the Astros lose again. Um, you never know. <laughs> um, but uh, I hope so. Um, but as we head into 2022, thank you guys so much for, for listening to us um, shoot the crap and ostensibly discuss Xavier basketball um for 2021 um it's been a weird year there have been more covid pauses than i think any of us would have liked um but we've gotten all all gotten through it together and um we look forward to continuing to um bring you guys our our own brand of Xavier coverage into 2022 we wish you guys and your families all the best as you celebrate the new year and uh Please stay safe, make good decisions, and uh, let's all be back here on December, whatever you're listening to this, 2022, um, discussing how Xavier's going to defend their national championship. That's it for us this week. We will be back with you guys next week whether there's basketball to talk about or not, and we'll catch you then.